The talk this evening is on the search for experience. Much of our lives seems to revolve around searching for different experiences. And it's a search which consumes a great deal of our time and energy. And it's also a search which is very much a motivating and governing force in our lives. <clears throat> the different experiences we seek for are determined by that search. The different directions we take in life are determined by the kind of experience that we want. And it does seem that the mind almost has a craving for experience, to seek for something new, something different, something other. When we look at our past, reflect upon our past, we see that they hold an almost uncountable number of different experiences. The pleasant experience, the unpleasant experience, the high, the low, the exciting, the mundane. And yet the mind is never satisfied. Those experiences that we've had in the past soon seem to lose their vitality, become simply dried out memories. The mind is not satisfied with the variety nor the number of experiences we've had, and so seeks for more, to have something new, something different. Many of our experiences come through the sense doors, and at certain points in our life we become tired of certain experiences, bored with them. We only watch a certain number of movies, we only read a certain number of books, we only gain a certain amount of academic accreditation. And our appetite for experience in time becomes more sophisticated. We seek for something which is not so readily available, something which is going to be unique, something which is very different, a kind of experience possibly which is going to bring lasting satisfaction, which often brings people to search for the mystical experience or the spiritual experience, experiences that they've heard about from different authorities, experiences that they've read about, experiences which haven't yet been experienced for oneself. And because of that are seen to be very attractive, very worthwhile, and something to be gained. I wonder if we ever question this desire for experience, this searching for experience, the energy that's consumed. I wonder if we ever question what an experience gives to us that urges us on to always be seeking for more, for new, for different experiences. I wonder if we ever question what it is within the mind that is always craving for something new, for something other than what is. We seem to take it for granted that we do need to have experiences. It would seem that a a lack of experiences would mean that we would become dull and stagnant. It would seem that an absence of experience 
would mean an absence of interest, of vitality and challenge in our lives. Because on the superficial level, that is what experience gives to us. Experience, the new experience, a different experience, gives us a, a strong sense of being interested, gives excitement, gives challenge, gives vitality. And because apparently this is what experience gives to us, the mind craves for more, for the new, for something other than what is. When we in enter into something new, whether it is a new relationship, a new job, a new, f a new field of interest, the very entering into something new brings a, a kind of intensity to our lives, brings a, a kind of vitality. And it also seems that the changes we initiate to bring about new experiences are also the changes through which we grow and progress. It's obvious, too, that the quality of experiences that we have is very much a motivating factor in our lives. Whether our experiences are good or bad, whether our experiences are high or mundane, whether our experiences are exciting or boring, the quality of those experiences tends to be the deciding factor about whether we continue or dismiss a particular path that we're on. It's all too easy to focus only on seeing one side of experience. It's all too f easy to focus on the superficial, on the effects of experiences on us. They make us feel good, they make us feel interested, they make us feel vital. It's also all too easy to focus on the need that we seem to have to bring about change because we feel frustrated or bored with an experience that we're having. It's all too easy to become preoccupied then with seeking for something different, something new. I feel we need to set aside the effects, whatever they may be, of experience. Set aside, just for a moment, the need to change our particular experience and to look more honestly, more deeply, at just what an experience is, who is having that experience, and why it's being pursued. Unless those questions are explored very deeply, our lives become a movement from one experience to another. And not only that, our lives also become nothing more than a movement from one mental state to another, from frustration to interest, from boredom, boredom to excitement, because that is the path of experience. It's not just a path of new, something becoming familiar, initiating again something new. It's also a movement from one mental state to another, 
It also becomes a search for a kind of satisfaction which continues to be elusive. We seem to take it for granted that a lack of experience will make us dull, will make us stagnant. What we don't always see is that the very consumption of experiences makes us dull. The very consumption of experiences makes us lifeless, makes us dependent. The very consumption of experience exaggerates and accentuates this dependency in the mind to always have something new, to always have something different in order to feel awake, in order to feel alive, in order to feel interested. When we enter into a new experience, the very newness of it often brings a certain kind of high to the mind, a certain kind of intensity. The excitement, the vitality of meeting the unfamiliar, the, the unknown. We very easily become dependent on that high. We very easily become dependent on that high for a sense of life, a sense of interest in ourselves. The more dependence we have on that high for a sense of life is also the degree of dullness and stagnation and lifelessness we feel in the absence of that high, which is also the degree that we find ourselves seeking for the ever more intense, the ever more exciting, the ever more interesting. The mind becomes glutted by experience. The more glutted it is, the more dependent it becomes. The more dependent it becomes is also the degree of lifelessness and dullness we experience in the absence of input. The degree of dependence we have upon experience is revealed by what we actually experience when we are alone. When we are alone without any kind of input, when we are not having fed to us the new, the exciting, the interesting, when we are just alone, just with ourselves as we are, just with what is, if that is at all felt to be an uncomfortable experience, a distressing one, a lonely one, or an anxious one, it reveals basically, essentially, our dependence upon the experience, our dependence upon input in order to feel awake. And often we are alone, perhaps we feel dull, we feel lifeless, and the solution to that is often sought as being to have yet another experience. I feel bored, I feel restless, I feel lonely. I'll go and get into something. I'll go and involve myself with something. Not seeing that that solution which is so often followed is the very solution 
that reinforces dullness and lifelessness within ourselves. The dependence upon experience certainly indicates that there is something unresolved between ourselves and what is. That there is something unresolved in that relationship between who we are and what is. The need for experience comes out of dissatisfaction. The desire, the craving for experience comes out of dissatisfaction. Because what is, what is in this moment, is not entirely fulfilling, not entirely satisfying to us. It comes out of dissatisfaction, the dissatisfaction of not knowing how to live with what is. The desire for experience often arises because there is a dissatisfaction of not knowing how to resolve or understand the conflicts, the fears, the anxieties that beset our lives. And because we haven't yet understood that within ourselves, through our own insight, through our own intuition, we seek for something other, something other than what is, with the hope, with the hope that that new experience that that something other will resolve those problems for us, will resolve those conflicts for us. And yet it is so obvious that the new experience doesn't bring any lasting satisfaction. How often have we initiated a new experience because we feel dissatisfied, and yet that new experience becomes old? It exists for a brief moment in time in its excitement, in its vitality, and it soon becomes boring. If it did offer any lasting satisfaction, there would simply be an end, a total cessation of any need to seek for anything new, anything different, anything other than what is. It's also obvious that the new experience does not in any way resolve our conflicts, our anxieties, our fears, our problems. It is true that the new experience and the involvement in it, the very involvement, at times makes us forget those anxieties, removes us from being aware of the fact that we do not know yet how to live with what is. And yet as soon as the new experience loses its intensity, the same anxieties, the same fears, the same conflicts reappear perhaps in a slightly modified form. And again, we are confronted with the same dissatisfaction. It is the desire, the desire to bring about dissatisfaction, the desire to find satisfaction, that ever urges us on to finding ever more experiences. What is actually sought for in the new experience is not so much always the content or the quality. What is sought for is a desire to find satisfaction. And satisfaction is often equated in our minds 
with gratification and pleasure. And if we look at the desire for experience, we so often find that behind the desire for experience is a desire for pleasure. Because pleasure, essentially, is the measure we use to judge the worth and value of experience. Look at it in ourselves, in our own lives. How often do we stay with the unpleasant experience? We certainly don't find ourselves pursuing the unpleasant experience. But how often do we even stay with it? How often when we are confronted with the unpleasant experience, the mind immediately seeks to replace it with a substitute. And the substitute is a pleasant one. We must surely see that pleasure is not the same as wisdom. That pleasure is in no way the same as growth or learning. We can have any number of high, intense, vital, exciting experiences and yet still be completely deluded. It's not just experience which is sought for, but the pleasant experience. And essentially, the pleasant experience is sought for in order to satisfy the experiencer. The identity of the experiencer, that means you and I, by the way, the identity of the experiencer is tied to the quality and the contents of the experiences we have. Our self-image, our identity of ourselves, is tied to the quality and content of the experiences we have whether they're good or bad, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, whether they're exciting or mundane. We cannot in any way separate the experiencer from the experience. And the worth and the value of the experiencer is judged on the basis of the experiences we have. Their quality, the number we manage to accumulate, the number we manage to initiate, Our identity is affirmed or threatened by the quality of the experiences we have. A good experience affirms our identity. A bad experience tends to threaten it. You see it. You have a good experience in relationship. It affirms your identity as an adequate person. You have a bad experience in relationship. You're rejected, dismissed, disapproved of somehow. Threatens your identity as a person. You have a good experience in meditation. And by a good experience in meditation, generally we mean a pleasant experience. It affirms our identity as a meditator. I'm doing well, I'm progressing. The models are being achieved. The experiences are fitting fitting in with the models I have. We have a bad experience in meditation. The mind is noisy, hasn't settled down 10 days. (laughs) 
Your body is painful. Nothing high. No visions, no flashing lights. Threatens your identity as a person. The models aren't being achieved. The goals aren't being achieved. Leads to doubt, not just in meditation, because that's an easy one. The meditation's useless, it's no good. If it was just that, we would get up and leave. But no, it leads to doubt in our identity as a person. I'm not a good meditator. I can't do it. Look at all these other people. They're doing it, I'm not. They're still, I'm not. Look how slow they move. Look how fast I am. Look how concentrated they seem. Look how scattered I am. They, the person beside me doesn't move for a whole hour. Look at me all full of fidgets. Our identity as a person is threatened. Our identity is tied to our experience. Our identity as a person is judged on the basis of how we judge our experience. That means our identity as a person is also tied to the state of our mind. And that means that our reality as a person is dependent upon the state of our mind. And that's lousy. That, that is really limited and petty. If you really had to fill out some kind of job prospectus and describe yourself by the state of your mind, you would never apply for anything. <laughs> you would never do anything. It would be a shame to show anybody this. You know, look. You must say that this is such an illusion that I am my reality dependent upon the kind of experience I have then my reality is dependent upon the state of the mind I experience. Not seeing that that mind is just a conditioned little monkey. For one to take it seriously really is a question of one's own sanity. <laughs> really must learn, must learn so much. But surely, even to begin to describe yourself by the quality of your mind, it's such a path of frustration. But there must be something deeper to understand than this, and also something much deeper in meditation than just being able to manipulate our experiences. Something much deeper in meditation than just to have the pleasant experience that conforms to our models, that conforms to our images. Because this is no depth in meditation. This is no depth in meditation to come in here. It doesn't matter if you have a quiet mind for 10 days. It doesn't mean anything. It's, it's no depth in meditation to have flashing lights and visions. It doesn't necessarily mean anything at all. We can be so swept away in pursuing experiences that we don't see their illusory nature. We can be so involved in the new, the exciting, the interesting, that we don't see how much we measure ourselves by the content of our experiences. We can be so involved in ever trying to create something new, something different, but we don't see that experiences reinforce the sense of I, whether they are good or bad. That the gaining of experiences and the accumulating of them 
reinforces the sense of I. As long as we are tied to experience and judge ourselves by them, then we always live with those dualities of success and failure, progress and regression, because those are all experiences which belong to the experiencer. Our identity is affirmed and threatened by the quality and the content of our experiences that we have. Our identity is also affirmed and threatened by our ability to initiate experience. Growth so often is equated with progress, and progress tends to be equated with the ability to accumulate a large number of experiences. We gain a stronger sense of identity, a stronger sense of I, through being able to initiate experiences. It so often happens that we feel to be a kind of victim in life. That things happen to me, or that I'm moved along in life by the force of circumstances. And the ability to initiate experience removes that sense of being a victim, gives a sense of power and control to the experiencer. I can initiate the kind of experience I'm seeking for, or I can find and get the kind of experience that I want. Gives a great sense of power and control to the experiencer. And power and control are very much two qualities which reinforce the eye center, which reinforce and strengthen the sense of self. As long as we seek experiences, we're tied to them, whether they're good, whether they're bad. As long as we seek experiences, we're dependent upon them. We must surely recognize that our ability to control life is limited and restricted, that a sense of being in control is certainly an illusion. We must surely question in our search for experience whether it's growth that we're actually seeking for or whether it's a more powerful and centralized controlling experiencer. Because certainly there's a sense of security in that and a strong sense of identity to have that controlling experiencer. With striving in meditation, with seeking to get experiences, can make one a very good meditator. It also gives a very strong sense of I. When we become very technique-oriented, we also become very experience-oriented. Because it is a certainty that techniques induce experience. It's also a certainty that experience is dependent upon technique. As long as we are dependent upon experiences, 
then we're always judging ourselves. We're always judging our worth. We're always judging our adequacy by our ability to control and initiate the experience, by the content and quality of experiences we have. As long as we're dependent upon experiences, then the experiencer always exists in a state of threat and in a state of defense. Because whatever we gain in the form of new experiences, we can lose. Whatever we attain, we can also lose. So being tied, being tied to experiences and that dependency, we're also very much tied to these dualities of progress and failure. We're always very much tied to these dualities of depth and superficiality. We're also tied very much to the dualities of pain and pleasure. The path of experiences is a path without end, and essentially it is a path of frustration. Because the very nature of the mind, which is always seeking for something more, which always wants something new, something other, denies the possibility of ever having a lasting experience. Denies the possibility of ever having a lasting, satisfying experience. It simply cannot because the mind conditions those experiences to end by its very desire for more, by its very desires for something new. The nature of that mind that craves for experience also denies the ability, the capacity, to be with what is and to see the freedom in that, to know what it means to be fully awake with that. We seek to resolve dissatisfaction through having more experiences. But that dissatisfaction will persist. That restlessness, those desires will persist as long as the experiencer persists. Because the experiencer can never be satisfied. That sense of I can never be satisfied by attainment, by achievement. These ideas, the seeking for experience, of course, gets transferred to meditation. Seeking for the spiritual experience, seeking for an experience which is mystical, which is higher, which is more intense. When we sit in meditation, we are confronted with various seeming dualities and differences. The difference between enlightened and unenlightened, the difference between bondage and freedom, the difference between clarity and confusion, the difference between peace and disorder. And these differences appear to be very substantial. That somehow there must be a way to move from bondage to freedom. There must be some sort of bridge between confusion and clarity. There must be some sort of means to get from disorder to peace. So we get goals, we make goals. 
Obviously, we're not satisfied with the disorderly, confused, chaotic mind that's in bondage. <laughs> so we make a goal. And the goal is the opposite. The enlightened, peaceful, orderly, serene, clear consciousness. As soon as we have a goal, we then make an image of what that feels like, what that must be, what it means to be free. We have an image of what it means to be peaceful. We have an image of what it means to be quiet. We have an image of what it means to be aware. And depending on our conditioning, it influences our images. Obviously, a Christian will have a different image than a Buddhist. They have different visions. They have all sorts of differences when they meditate. Obviously, the conditioning affects that. A Christian doesn't sit down and see Buddhists everywhere. A Buddhist doesn't sit down and see Jesus on the cross. Our conditioning influences our images. And then we set about trying to find an experience that conforms to our image. And we often reject so much because it doesn't fit in with the image we have. But this isn't awareness, you know. This isn't peace. This isn't serenity. This isn't clarity. What is it, you know? This isn't what I'm seeking for. Where is it? So often, depth in meditation is equated with the ability to have experiences. The more experiences we have means the deeper that we go, means that we're progressing. And we get the proof of a certain number of experiences, which we might call breakthroughs or some word like that. And that proof means that we're getting better in meditation. We're getting to be better meditators. So we only have to have a certain number of more, and eventually we're going to get that one big one. And the strange thing is that that big one seems to get further and further and further away. And we must surely see, we must surely see that as long as we have the notion of progress, we're going to have the notion of regression. That the very notion of progress carries its opposite standard with it. As long as we hold on to progress, we always have regression. And as long as we have experiences and are experience-oriented in meditation, we are always going to feel that we are regressing. It's conditioned, that regression is conditioned by the very fact that every experience has its end. So no matter how high, how deep, how intense, how exciting, how concentrated, how enlightening an experience we have, it's going to come to an end. And that end is equated with regression. I was doing so well. (laughs) And now I'm not doing so well anymore. (laughs) I don't understand what's wrong with me. My meditation was getting so deep And now, I don't know what's happened. I've suddenly become very scattered again. You can't have progress without regression. In meditation, you can't have it. And as long as we tie our meditation around experiences, we're tying ourselves to that notion. And so the mind wants another one and another one and another one. 
and it conceives of all these various solutions that all I, oh, I have to go to the East, or I have to go into some hermitage, or I have to do a three-month course for sure, I have to do a long retreat, I must maybe need some solitude, I need to get away from these people, I need a different technique. Always because there's this feeling of trying to patch it up, trying to get back to where I was, trying to get deep again, trying to get more depth, more understanding in our practice. What we get is muck, confusion, muddled thinking. Experiences, good experiences that is, enhance the experiencer. Certainly they give us something to tell the folks back home. <laughs> they give us something to write in our diaries. They give us some pleasant memories to reflect on. But they don't make us awake. Good experiences don't make us free. High experiences don't make us free. High experiences aren't liberating. No matter how deep, how high, how wonderful they are, they're not liberating. An experience always happens in isolation. It has a beginning and it has continues for a period of time in whatever quality it takes, and then it has an ending. And at some point in the experience, it, we value it, we judge it, and we label it. And our judgments and our labels come out of our comparisons and our memories and our conditioning. The ability to judge and label an experience means essentially it is already finished. We can say, oh yes, that was very high, that was very intense. The ability to label it means that it has already been compared, it's already been valued, and it is already finished. It is only a memory. And we can spend our lives seeking those memories to repeat them or to get better ones. But in that isolation, there's no sense of totality. There's no vision of totality. The awake consciousness has no need to label. Never says, I am awake, I am vital, I am free, I am liberated. It just is. Has no need to compare or to pursue or to look for something new, or to look for something is other than what is. It's because the awake consciousness knows freedom in that awakeness. Maturity in meditation is not having more experiences, is not having these experiences. It is freeing the consciousness from the need for experience. It's freeing the consciousness from the dependency upon experience. It's freeing the consciousness of that sense of judging and identifying with experience. Meditation is not a means to an end. It's not a means to experience. It is both the means and the end. It just is. Meditation has no beginning and it has no ending. We can never truly say, 
I'm going to begin to meditate. Because that very thought, that very intention carries both choice and motive. When we begin to explore this need for experience, when we begin to explore these questions of identity, when we begin to explore the sense of dependency, the seeking for something other, something new, we meditate. We begin to ask ourselves, can we be truly awake without demand, without motive? Can there just be seen a scene of totality without any isolation, without any need to affirm the identity of the experiencer? Can we question who is having experiences and why we are seeking them? Experiences are nothing more than passing shows. Meditation just is. The Buddha spent six years going in and out of experiences, had some great ones. At the end of those six years, he also began to question what does it mean to be free? What does it really mean to be free? What does it really mean to be awake? And in understanding that, clearly said that he gained absolutely nothing from complete unexcelled enlightenment. Absolutely nothing. The meditation, our own meditation, is one which doesn't carry standards of depth and superficiality. Doesn't carry standards of progress or regression. Our meditation is one of being awake. It's not how am I going to be awake. It's not how do I get to be awake. It's just exploring what it means to be awake, to be fully conscious, to go beyond the limitations of passing shows, just to be with what is. May all beings see totally May all beings abide in awareness. May all beings abide in freedom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.